you're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. In this podcast, we're going to talk about Mark Burns, congressional candidate, saying Trump was supposed to be president and he wants violence. Televangelist Andrew Womack putting a spy in local schools to find homosexual books. Mike Lindell having trouble avoiding process servers when somebody new sues him. We also take voicemails. If you want to leave a voicemail, the number is 1-800-701-8573. If you want to send an email instead, the email address is telltalemailbag at gmail.com. I get this question a lot. Why do you do it? It feels hopeless sometimes, especially when you hear stories like this. I get that it feels hopeless, but it's really not. It's really not hopeless. Compare where we are today to where we were in 1960 or even 1950 or 1940 or 30 or 20. As time moves on, as we move forward, we do progress. Society is moving forward. It's slow, and sometimes we take a couple steps back, like, like we did in this case, I feel, but we inevitably do take multiple steps forward. The Republican position is a losing position by default. They want to revert back to a time when things were better, whenever that was, whenever they think that was. It is inherently a losing position, in my opinion. We can't go back. We can only move forward. And move forward we shall. That's the progressive position. Society will change and grow and evolve, and we'll learn new things, and science will improve, and life will improve with it. That is how things work. As I think Barack Obama said, the moral arc bends toward justice. I know this feels hopeless sometimes it's really not it's really not it feels that way it isn't do you know how we improve our situation by talking about it by informing enough of the public in the united states that a tipping point forms and the majority of the public wants one thing and is dead set on getting it spreading that idea to their friends and family and before you know it, 55% want this thing, 60%, 70%, like gay marriage. It took a, you know, a long, long time to reach a tipping point with gay marriage where more people wanted it than not, but we finally got there. And after we got there, we finally successfully enshrined gay marriage into the law through the Supreme Court. It feels hopeless. It's not. The way we win is by spreading the message so that everybody in the country eventually sees things this way. Just give it time, keep on working, do your best, and don't worry about the rest. Just keep going until we get what we want. That's it. That's all you got to do. Anyway, hopefully that gives you guys a little bit of comfort because I know sometimes the, the subjects I cover are rough. They're hard to stomach. They're hard to face. I promise it's not as bad as it feels sometimes. The moral arc bends toward justice. Hey, this is Owen. If you're comfortable, leave your first name and state at the sound of the tiny truck backing up. Hey, Owen. This is Ian from Arkansas. Um, I have a friend who is Jehovah's Witness, and um, 
he, you know, he attends church every Sunday and, you know, we're, we're pretty good friends and, and he does all kinds of hobbies. Um, and so I was wondering what your thoughts are on that, um, as far as, you know, being friends with outsiders and doing things that don't directly benefit the church. Thanks. I told this story earlier, but I went to a barber and it turned out that the barber was a Jehovah's Witness. I'll insert the story here in the final cut. The other day, I went to a new barber because I just moved. It wasn't far. It was only like 10 blocks, but I get there and I'm, you know, sitting in the chair. He's almost done, actually, uh, with the haircut. So I'm sitting there and he's like, so what do you do? And I said, I'm a YouTuber. I talk about destructive cults like Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, that kind of thing. And he says, no way. Uh, what got you into that? And I said, I grew up Jehovah's Witness. And he said, I grew up Jehovah's Witness too. I was like, oh my God, what are the chances? That is so crazy, right? And I said, it's, you know, it's really destructive to a lot of people. And he said, yeah, um, I still believe it. I actually, I'm a believer. And then he said, how far along were you in the religion? He said he was a publisher. I said I was born into it and baptized. And it seemed strange to me that he called himself a publisher because that's not really something you would call yourself if you were baptized. So I think he was not baptized at any point, but he was probably born into it and was trying to move along. But he was obviously gay. He made some comments that told me that he was gay. He had rainbow bag and things like that. So I think that he probably turned into a teenager and came out as gay or realized he was gay or something and left the religion realizing that he would be unable to be a part of it while also being who he is. But since he was never baptized, his parents never shunned him because technically you don't have to shun somebody who was not baptized. A lot of people shun them anyways, but I'm guessing that that's probably why he called himself a publisher. So this guy is gay and has lived the past 30, 40 years of his life presumably hating himself for who he is because he believes the religion still. And I tried to talk to him about it a little bit, and he refused to listen, refused to talk to me about it kept cutting me off and telling me that he believed it and that it was real and all this stuff. And as I stood up from the chair to leave, we were still kind of on friendly terms. He said, so will I see you back in five weeks? Implying to me that he wanted me to come back, basically. He wanted me to come get my hair cut with him, despite the fact that I'm a disfellowshipped Jehovah's Witness and he's a believer, even though he's not baptized. And I said, yeah, I'll be back. But you know, the day after that and all the rest of that day, it was just eating me up inside. It's like really sad that it's even a conversation that has to be had. It's, it's even a question that hangs over your head. Are you going to discriminate against me for my religious beliefs? I don't believe the same way that you do. Are you going to hate me for not being a Jehovah's Witness anymore? Are you going to ban me from your store because I don't believe the way that you do anymore? That really sucks to even have to ask that question.
you know? It is discrimination, and it's a level of discrimination that I don't think many people really experience in their lives. I don't think very many people experience that feeling inside. Being hated for some intrinsic quality about who you are, some piece of your identity. Being hated for that, for something that you can't change. I'm disfellowshipped, I can't change that. And, and he hates me for it. And if, if he doesn't, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's okay with me. He asked me to come back. Maybe he's all right. If he doesn't hate me, his parents hate me. My parents hated me. My whole family hated me for a long time until they escaped too. You know, there are people out there who fucking hate me because of who I am. And that really hurts. It really sucks. I just can't stand it. This is a feeling that you can't understand unless you've experienced it. I've come to find. It's, I, I mean, di being discriminated against, I mean. That's a feeling you can't understand unless you've felt it, being discriminated against. So anyway, point is, I don't know if I'm going back to that barber or not. He was a really nice guy. He invited me back, but he made me feel this way. Probably not intentionally. He'd probably feel bad if he realized. I don't know. But it happened. So here we are. Jehovah's Witnesses do publicly, like the governing body, and in their propaganda, publicly discourage people from being friends with outsiders. Um, that is like a public part of their platform or whatever, their, their belief system. On occasion, you'll come across a Jehovah's Witness who isn't all in or, or doesn't fully believe in certain aspects of the religion or their belief system. They don't completely accept everything. They feel like certain parts are a bad idea, this or that. Uh, that's really, really rare to come across in cults because cults, by their very definition, are unified. They control every aspect of your life. And this is one of the aspects that, the, that Jehovah's Witnesses control. It's the friends you're allowed to keep and the people you're allowed to marry and the things you're allowed to do and stuff like that. It sounds like you found somebody who is one of those outliers, the incredibly rare breed of going against something that the governing body and the religion as a whole outwardly condemns, being friends with outsiders. It's not technically against the rules enough that it's going to get you disfellowshipped or shunned or whatever. It's not that against the rules, but you will be a, a social pariah to some degree. People in the congregation, if they know you have outsider friends, will be less likely to hang out with you and, and associate. You see it sometimes in more rural congregations that are like out in the middle of nowhere and they're really tiny. You'll see some people in the congregation will have outsider friends and outsider hobbies, but it's very uncommon and it's a very circumstantial type of situation. Uh, hi, Owen. This is Sean from Washington State. Uh, I was just curious, um, in ter with all the uh, people you tend to cover, who would concern you the most in terms of a presidential bid? Obviously, another four years of Trump would be pretty awful, to say the least, uh, but I almost feel like uh, Trump fanatics or in Greg Lock. Greg Locke's case, former uh, Trump fanatic, would be just as bad, if not worse. Uh, but yeah, I was curious to get your thoughts on that. Anyways, enjoy your show. Okay, bye. 
Yeah, I appreciate that. I think the criteria that I would use to determine which one was worst is which people are the most willing to commit acts of violence to get what they want, i.e. an ends justify the means mentality, and which people are the deepest in their conspiracy mindset. I think Greg Locke is deeply, deeply conspiratorial, way, way down there. We so believe in our First Amendment right to gather and worship Jesus Christ that if you show up and you impede on our First Amendment right, we will meet you at the door of our tent with our Second Amendment right because we're not playing your Democrat games. We carry a Bible for devils and we carry guns for dummies, praise God, all right? The reason we got so many popsicles in the pews is because we got too many polar bears in the pulpit, amen? And he uses violent rhetoric a lot and says that the church should be physically fighting for what it wants and stuff like that. But I have seen more violent people out there, more violent pastors. You know, I've been thinking about doing a pastor or a televangelist tier list for a while, but I, I never did get around to doing that. People say Ron DeSantis would be worse, but he isn't pushing extremist violent propaganda as hard as, say, Donald Trump is. The guy is absolutely crazier than Trump and knows how to use the reins of power, but he's not, he's not using rhetoric that is intended to erode democracy as much as Trump is, it, it doesn't seem to me. Cat Kerr would be bad. Cat Kerr would absolutely be bad. So right now, at this moment, we take authority over Dorian that has no right off the coast of this state or anywhere. And we hit that storm to the east right now. And I'm going to do it three times. We hit it to the east. Your mom. Your mom could be bad, too. That's true. Uh, just going through the chat looking for some suggestions. I would say Lance Walna, honestly. I would say Lance Walna would be the worst because he knows what he wants, he knows how to get it, and he intends to get it at any cost. He has an ends justify the means mentality, and he wants to replace the U.S. Constitution with the Ten Commandments. That's what he wants to do. He wants to control society and replace the leadership with people that are loyal to him. 3% of the population, roughly 3 to 4% of the population, are radical leftist elites. 30% of the population are evangelical born-again Christians that are inclined to go towards Pentecostal language. I mean, we're really out there. 30% against 3%, but they neutralize the church because they're also in religion. They changed the definition of marriage, so they've taken over family. They've totally taken over academia, so the education institutions are teaching leftist theology or leftist ideology and silencing uh, conservatives. They're controlling government right now. They've taken over legacy media, Hollywood, entertainment, and, uh, and arts, and uh, now they've got Wall Street. This is 3%. 30% of the, of the population is Christian. How is it that 30% are dominated by 3%? We want souls, and we want nations. Jesus was promised nations for his inheritance, not just churches. John MacArthur would be another concerning choice. The new administration will uphold religious freedom. Um, 
I don't even support religious freedom. Religious freedom is what sends people to hell. To say I support religious freedom is to say I support idolatry. It's to say I support lies. I support hell. I support the kingdom of darkness. You can't say that. No Christian with half a brain would say, we support religious freedom. We support the truth. Anyway, thank you so much for the voicemail. I really appreciate that. Interesting question. Hey, Owen, this is Alex from Michigan. I am I'm calling to see what your thoughts are on sectionalism uh, as, as it refers to uh, interacting with people who disagree uh, from you. I, I know your general sense is you want to try to save as many people as possible, be as nice as possible. But I, I want to know if you see um, any people as too far gone in terms of political beliefs as well as uh, religious beliefs. Because I, I, you talk about the Jehovah's Witnesses and them just putting out the propaganda. But I want to know how far that actually um, goes before you consider someone too far gone. Thanks. It's a good question. There are absolutely people that are too far gone. For example, I don't believe that my mom will ever find her way out of the religion, ever. She's too far gone. She believes it too deeply. She's studied it entirely too much. The propaganda is in her head forever. That being said, I believe that we should always afford people the courtesy or even the right of assuming that they're not too far gone. Everybody. I feel the same way about cults and cult members as I do about prisoners in jail. I feel the same way about both. There are certainly prisoners out there who are too far gone, completely unsavable, and should spend the rest of their lives in prison for society's safety. But I believe that we should afford everybody the chance to redeem themselves. Some are irredeemable. Some can't come out and be a normal person ever again, cult members or prisoners. Some can't do it. But we have to give them the courtesy and the right to at least try for everybody, for every single person. We shouldn't assume anybody is too far gone, even though there are people that are. That doesn't mean release every prisoner necessarily. That means create education opportunities for them, give them opportunities to learn and redeem themselves, give them opportunities to fix their lives and and try to lower their time for good behavior and, and things like that. Rehabilitation for prisoners is my goal, not punishment, but rehabilitation. Try to get them to a point where this isn't going to happen again. Try to get them to a point where they can rehabilitate themselves and get back on their feet. And I say the same thing about cult members. Try to get every single person to the point where they can find their way out, even if it's unlikely, even if this is the deepest cult member you've ever met, governing body member of Jehovah's Witnesses. Everybody deserves for you to give them the courtesy of assuming that they can be saved. Hey, Owen, I would encourage you to make yourself a another channel that re, uh, focuses in on a... Uh, telltale toolbox on basically things that people could use to help um, when dealing with um, helping people get out of religion, Um, short videos, you know, that sort of thing. Um, Thanks. Love your show.
Yeah, I appreciate that. That's an interesting suggestion. I thought about something like that. Um, I figured if I did something like it, it'd probably be a playlist rather than its own channel. Because if it's a playlist on my existing channels, then it means it would benefit from the algorithmic favor that my existing channels have already. Having a small channel that is only that stuff may not, it, it probably wouldn't spread to a wider audience. So I'd probably do a playlist. But I'm... I think rather than doing a playlist, I would rather recommend a book that people read, and that would be The Atheist's Guide to... What is it called? A Manual for Creating Atheists by Peter Boghossian. That's the name of the book and the author. I'd recommend people read that. It's eternally useful to know how all of this works. Anthony Magnabosco pioneers it and has modified it and, and helped it grow and stuff, but Peter Boghossian is a psychologist who wrote the book on street epistemology, he, who invented it. This email came from Chad. Hi Owen, first of all, let me say that I love your channel and you do a great job. Thank you for everything you do. I appreciate that, Chad. What is your take or what have you observed regarding the reactions of the Christian church as a whole to these extreme evangelicals and their false prophecies? My brother-in-law is a pastor and we recently had a conversation about this very issue. I asked him what the Christian church was doing, if anything, to curtail or subdue some of these extremists like Greg Locke. He told me that there really isn't a leadership per se to handle the situation, unlike the Catholic Church, where the Pope and the leadership would subdue or handle someone if they felt it was out of place from the Vatican. Yeah, that's true. Um, Protestantism is more of a an amorphous type of thing. It's not as structured and strict. There are strict hierarchies within Protestantism, and as they get more and more strict and controlling, you get into serious cult territory but you know the extremists are the cults the extremists are the strict top-down hierarchies that's the problem that's who we're trying to deal with by their nature the the fact that these moderate christian groups are not controlling or don't have a leadership that's the thing they'd need to try to target the extremists in the first place and root it out and it's the very thing that they don't have that makes them not an extremist, effectively. Continuing on with uh, the email, it was interesting because my brother-in-law told me he was afraid that extremists like Greg Locke would ultimately lead to the church being taxed. Unlikely. That's not going to happen. And that led to a conspiracy theory that leaders in our society would use people like Greg Locke to excuse taxing all of the churches, to which I found absurd. Yeah, that, that's absurd. Not happening in the United States. Not going to happen. But martyrdom is the narrative for the church, it seems. To me, it seems highly hypocritical of the church as a whole to attack non-Christians in our society when instead they should be cleaning their own house. I'm curious to know whether you think the Christian church will ever do so. Thanks. Hope you're well. Thanks again for everything you do. Chad from Chicago. I appreciate that. Yeah, I absolutely do think that they should be cleaning their own house. But, you know, it's easier to attack the other side than your own side. And Christians, by default, view themselves as like birds of a feather, you know. Birds of a feather flock together, as they say. I don't think that there's ever going to be a time when Christianity or Protestantism tackles the extremism problem. I think as a society in the U.S., we're going to have to try to tackle the extremism problem in various different ways. But the church, I don't think we can count on the church to try to tackle it. They would rather go after non-believers, unfortunately. 
This one's from Thomas. Hey, Owen. Love the show. I'm not political, but what do you think of the extreme left? Just curious because I think that there are an extreme side of both the right and the left from Thomas from Denmark. There definitely is an extreme left for sure. There is two left wing. I haven't seen it in the United States. You're from Denmark. Uh, I'm, I know that there's an extreme left. I don't know if it's in Denmark or not. There really isn't one in the U.S. Not one that has any kind of serious power anyways. They're, they exist. They're out there. And, the, you know, they're nutty for sure. But they have no real power or sway. You can go your entire life and never encounter one. I know somebody said tankies in the chat. It, that's true. Tankies would be an example of the extreme left. And there are definitely problematic people over there. But there are so few and far between in the United States that they're not even on my radar. If they show up and start doing some unhinged stuff, I'll be the first to call it out, but I haven't seen it yet, so. Next, we're gonna talk about Mark Burns, congressional candidate, saying Trump was supposed to be president and he wants violence. Give us 30 seconds and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. First story I want to talk about is about Mark Burns. I think the last time I talked about this guy, I was talking about his weird views of the song Jingle Bells and his bizarre unhinged claims about the idea that Jingle Bells was removed from classrooms for not being or for being too Christian or something like that. Well, guess what? This guy is at it again. I want to give you a little bit of background on who he is, the things that he's done, the things he's said, the things he's believed. Uh, or the things he believes. So let's take a look at this clip. This is January 5th, 2021. Can you guess where he was? Mark Burns was at the Stop the Steal rally, Donald Trump's Stop the Steal rally in D.C. on January 5th, the day before the January 6th events took place. And he was one of the speakers, interestingly enough. Mark Burns is currently a candidate for Congress, and he's ramping up his campaign, trying to get attention. So he's saying bizarre unhinged stuff intentionally trying to get more attention so let's watch his speech at the january 5th stop to steal rally and see where he stands on some stuff check this out we're here to serve notice because this is a demonic attack from the gates of hell of course being on january 5th he was talking about the demonic attack was supposed to be like Biden stealing the election from Trump or whatever. Obvious nonsense. Unfortunately, it's nonsense that he bought and many, many other people. So it's important that we talk about it. Let's keep listening. And I believe there's a war that's coming. And it's not a war that is Democrat versus Republican. This is a war that's between good and evil. This is dangerous stuff, man, for real. This is dangerous stuff. This type of language that he's using, I hear this all the time from extremists, which, by the way, is exactly what he is. So this aired at 3.05 p.m. on January 5th, right? That night, 7.39 p.m., just a few hours later, 
This is what he had to say. Check this one out. Don't I got some God-fearing 1776 Trump-loving patriots in the building tonight? You know, 1776 is barely a dog whistle to going to war with the government. That's why he uses words like that. This isn't a war between Democrats and Republicans. It's a war between good and evil. Where are my 1776 patriots, Donald Trump-loving patriots? This kind of language is intentional, what he's saying here. It's intentional. We're going to make it hell for Joe Biden. Because I believe he won't be the next president of the United States. Yeah, uh, about that. Looks like you were wrong, Pastor. I'm ready to run through a brick wall to save this nation. Are you going to let Donald Trump fight by himself? This is truly dangerous, sick language. What he's doing here is encouraging people to take physical action. Now, if that's not enough, if that doesn't convince you, just wait. Just wait. There is more. We have more from this guy. This one's from mid-November 2021. He's been putting his ideas and values and beliefs on record for a while, especially since he's running for Congress. Naturally, that's what you do, right? So what's he believe in? Check this out. November, uh, mid-November 2021. I'm excited about the growing movement, especially here in the 4th District of South Carolina, of people who are identifying themselves as just Christian conservatives, right? We got to take it back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the melding of two different identities. When you meld two identities together like that, Christian and conservative, when you meld them together, they don't ever quite fit together correctly. Conservatism, or American conservatism, what we know as conservatism in the U.S. today, is completely incompatible with what Jesus taught in the Bible. Jesus was borderline socialist. Dude wanted to spread the wealth around, give up all your earthly possessions and follow him, all that stuff. How do you square that with your conservative beliefs, with your belief in capitalism? You can try to meld the identities together. It never works out quite right. They do not fit together, but they force them together anyways. And what you get is an overarching ideology that's ultimately nonsense, that's full of hypocrisy and bizarre hatred for people that just doesn't make any sense, disregarding certain verses and following others. It's just nonsense is what it leads to. It's not just about being Republicans. It's about being a conservative Christian who believes this is a Christian nation and any policy that is contrary to the word of God, we need to remove it from, uh, from mainstream America and make it illegal. The first law you would have to repeal if that really is what you would want to do, the first thing you'd have to do is erase the Constitution. The First Amendment contradicts the First Commandment. They are incompatible with each other. You would have to erase pretty much the whole Constitution, right? The Constitution is essentially a permission slip to allow the government to do certain things. The Constitution is only intended to protect people's rights to certain things. You can't violate my right to freedom of speech. You can't violate my right to life. The government has an obligation to step in and punish you if you do something like that. That is what the Constitution is for. It should have no say 
in morals whatsoever. The government should have no say in moral values or beliefs or any of that. It has nothing to do with it. It is only about protecting rights. So I understand that he wants to erase certain laws that contradict the Bible. You would have to start with the First Amendment, freedom of speech. This wasn't a one-time thing either. This one is from mid-December 2021. Check this out. This is at the Reawaken America tour. Any law, and I'm going to tell you, let me go ahead and piss off the mainstream media. Because every time I open my mouth and I say... What he's saying here is just part of his persecution complex. He's trying to make people pity him or feel bad. If he can make them feel bad enough, it creates a sense of loyalty, camaraderie, and brotherhood, and it makes people donate even harder. So that's why he says things like, let me piss off the mainstream media. Any law that is, that is a law right now that's contrary to the word of God should be outlawed and abolished in this nation. Do you believe that Jesus should be at the center of American politics in the United States of America? We're here to take over. I can't hear nobody, patriots. We're here to take over. God help me. We're here to take over. It's weird that he wants that. If you allow Jesus at the center of American politics, you have to be willing to allow other religions to be at the center of American politics, right? I mean, that's the logical conclusion that you should be drawing. If you are willing to allow religion in, then you should be, then you have to understand that if another religion gains power, they will have the right to push their religion into it too. But, they, you know, they're not thinking that far ahead. They're not processing this. All they care about is the fact that they're about to be, or they already are, in a position of supremacy. They've been in a position of supremacy for a long time as Christians. And over the years, little by little, we've reversed some of the control that religion has had or some, some of the stranglehold religions had on our society and our government. We removed mandatory prayer from schools, for example. Things like that, little things, little steps that we took that removed religion from government over the years. And they want those things back desperately, and they will do anything to get it back. That, that kind of thing is really, really concerning to me. If that's not concerning enough, let me pop these two facts in your noggin. This guy is QAnon, in addition to all of the other stuff, and he's running for Congress. He's QAnon, he's running for Congress, and he wants to effectively replace the Constitution with the Ten Commandments. So this clip came out early April 2022. It's a fairly new one, and it should give you some insight into who this guy is if you haven't already caught on. You remember earlier I mentioned his tendency toward violent rhetoric, like the war language he was using, 1776, and all that other stuff earlier? Yeah, that's where this comes into play. Watch this, early April 2022. You see an Antifa flag? Go knock out their window. That's, that's my about. thought. Forgive see me, that. Lord. Forgive me, Jesus. Lord, forgive me. You see an Antifa window. Wait, what was it? You see an Antifa flag? Go knock out... You see an Antifa flag go knock out their window, and he jokingly asks for forgiveness from God. I thought, forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Jesus. Lord, forgive me. This dude is about to be a member of Congress, possibly, and he's encouraging violence. These are the types of tactics that I wouldn't stand for, whether I was left-wing or right-wing. I'm left-wing, firmly left-wing, but I wouldn't stand for this no matter what. 
I don't care who you are or what you believe, this type of rhetoric is dangerous. These kinds of ideas are what destroy democracies. This kind of language tears things down and destroys, and that is it. It has no other value but to hurt people. And he's laughing about it and saying, forgive me, Lord. It's like he knows what he was saying was wrong, but believes it anyways. Lord, forgive me. I'm asking for forgiveness right now. Right. I'm asking for forgiveness right now. It was just right a now. thought. It was just but, a thought. But, but, but I'm saying, the Bible says that the kingdom suffers violence, violence. and yes. the violence taken by, by force. By force. The problem yes. is we've been too coward and too weak, and we think that man has authority over us when we serve a big God we, yeah. that's given us power, power and authority, and authority yeah. to tread over every demonic spirit. But yep. so, so if they go to knock out a window, you go knock out two of them. That's what I'm he seems to be justifying that with Bible verses. He says, forgive me, Lord, and then goes on to justify it with the Bible. The Bible, in all seriousness, can be used to justify anything. It's impossible to not cherry pick. It's made up of 66 books, thousands of pages, dozens of different authors that all believed different things from each other, contradictory things. It's impossible to not cherry pick the Bible. If you have a moral position, you can justify it with some Bible verse. There is a verse in the Bible to justify it. You are not a mirror for the Bible. The Bible is a mirror for your internal existing beliefs. So we know exactly what type of person this guy is, in all seriousness. We know what type of person he is. We know what he believes. He believes in violence and hatred, and he uses the Bible to justify that, which is easy to do. The Bible makes it easy to justify hatred and violence. There are plenty of verses for it. It's also easy to justify love and pacifism if you follow the Bible, but he chose the violent way, I guess. What Jesus said, go buy two swords. That's what I'm, come on, brother, right come now. on, man. Go buy two swords. So listen, Oregon, y'all better go buy some swords in the name of Jesus, right? Yeah. Go start knocking out some windows. <laughs> Yeah, that's straight up calling for violent action right there. I honestly have no idea how this guy is still a candidate for Congress after saying things like this. He says things like this, most likely, just to inspire his QAnon base. So that was one of his more recent appearances for his campaign. He's trying to get out there, show his face, get his beliefs on record. We know what he believes now, right? So how does he feel about LGBT issues? I bet you can guess before we even watch this one. This is early April 2022. Check it out. I'm going to say something that's going to make the liberal media go crazy here in Oregon right now. There is no such things as trans kids. There is no such thing as trans kids. There are only abusive parents and abusive adults. We've got to make sure that we keep that nasty liberal, it's a communist takeover of our public schools here in America. But somebody better shout, not on my watch, baby, not on my watch. Thank you, Greg Abbott, for solidifying the narrative within the Republican Party that being trans or that trans kids suffer at the hands of abusive parents. Thank you for that, Greg Abbott. Take a look at this article. This is the Texas Tribune. I'm unfamiliar with this source, but I read the executive order myself, and I know exactly what it says. So let's read this. Uh, it was published February 28th, 2022 by 
Sneha Day, I think, and Karen Brooks Harper. I apologize for butchering the name. I do my best. The title is Transgender Texas Kids Are Terrified After Governor Orders That Parents Be Investigated for Child Abuse. There are a couple of phone numbers here for LGBTQ mental health support. Trevor Project, fantastic. I've donated to the Trevor Project before. Really good organization. Um, they have this phone number here if you need help or anything like that. They are, I, I can vouch for them 100%. This is what the article says. Every couple months, Adamalis Virgil drives eight hours from the Rio Grande Valley to North Texas so her 13-year-old trans daughter, Adeline, can receive health care. They talk and sing the whole trip. The care she receives there is unavailable in her hometown but pivotal to her sense of identity and her mental health. It makes me feel who I truly am, and I don't feel singled out for not being like other girls in school anymore, Adeline said. It's just very special for me that my mom takes me all the way over there. But last week, the panic attacks started again when Republican Governor Greg Abbott, seven days before the GOP primary election in which he's being accused of not being conservative enough, ordered state child welfare officials to launch child abuse investigations into reports of transgender kids receiving gender-affirming care. So basically... If you receive hormone treatment, if you receive any type of surgery or any gender affirming anything at all, your parents can be investigated or will be investigated for child abuse. That's where we are right now. And I feel that by pushing that executive order through, Greg Abbott set the tone for the rest of the Republican Party so that they can say things like Mark Burns here said a minute ago. There is no such thing as trans kids there are only abusive parents and abusive adults. Thank you, Greg Abbott. You set the tone and effectively put a target on the backs of LGBTQ people. All because of what? Seven days before the GOP primary election in which he's being accused of not being conservative enough. Convenient timing. Convenient timing. Thank you, Greg Abbott, for that. I appreciate that. Making everybody's lives worse. So that's where Mark Burns stands. He is a true believer and pushes talking points of the most extreme of the most extreme of the Republican Party. And he does everything he can to make people's lives more miserable. If that's not enough, check this clip out. This is from mid-March 2022, so not that old. He has some ideas for us on how to handle the media as the media mogul that he considers himself to be. Check this out. Well, I'm gonna tell you right now, David, when I'm elected, I am going to help formulate uh, and re-energize a committee called HUAC. HUAC is the House of Un-American Activities. Wait, House of Un-American, H-O-U-A-A. Committee. This H-O-U-A-A-C. House of Un-American Activities Committee, okay. I'm not really a fan of the name right off the bat, but I'm listening. House of Un-American Activities Committee. This is a committee, it is not a new committee, it was a committee uh, that was during the time uh, uh, that existed in the 40s and the 50s, but it's a committee. Oh yeah, because the 40s and the 50s were just like a golden age of progressivism where everybody was happy and nobody was suffering, right? Oh, except for any minority in the U.S., right, okay. I'm with you, go on. In the 40s and the 50s, but it's a committee that is sole purpose is to identify Americans, media, elected officials who are doing un-American activity activities and to hold them for treason here in America. Hold them for treason, you say. 
can you define un-American? Would you define un-American as communist? I mean, we went through this during the McCarthy era. We've been through this plenty of times, and we can look at history and know that this is a bad idea. This is a bad road to go down. For some reason, this guy is not connecting the dots on how terrible of an idea this is, how truly deeply disturbing it is that he's even proposing this as something that we should do. This is like Marjorie Taylor Greene on steroids. Honestly, I think this guy is worse than Marjorie Taylor Greene, no joke. We should definitely be watching to see where this goes, where this election goes. This is Mark Burns' Ballotpedia page. He's running for South Carolina's 4th Congressional District. He declared his candidacy for the Republican primary scheduled on June 14th, 2022. June 14th, 2022. So we need to be looking to that date. If it's already passed, you know one way or another if this guy has been elected or not. Well, I'm sure we'll hear a lot about it if he wins his election. But if he doesn't win the election, and we're lucky, guess what? We have candidates running who believe this stuff anyways. And he had a chance. He had a real chance of getting in. He's been all over the place. He's been endorsed by all kinds of people. We should be concerned about the fact that he felt comfortable enough to come out with these ideas in the first place and believe that these ideas will actually win him the election. And you know what? They might they might actually win him the election. Sometimes I know that this stuff is hard to listen to, but we, we will make progress. We will make forward progress. We will improve. It's just a long journey. Four steps forward and two steps back. Four steps forward, two steps back. That's how it's always been. Look where this country is now compared to where it was in the 1940s. We've had a lot of wins. Irreversible wins. Because they weren't just wins in law, but they were wins culturally too. We made interracial marriage legal, and now our society can't, could never imagine going back to a time like that. It's not even within the Overton window, and people who suggest getting rid of interracial marriage are, are laughed out of the room. There was a time when black people and white people drank from different water fountains. If somebody suggested that in society seriously, like senators or something, they would be laughed out of the room too. We aren't going back to those days. We've had some recent wins even, like Obergefell, was that the name of it? Where we legalized gay marriage countrywide? That was a win, but it's not a complete win. We need to solidify that in culture, and I think we're on our way there. Four steps forward, two steps back. Just keep fighting. Just keep fighting. Next, we're going to talk about televangelist Andrew Womack putting a spy in local schools to find homosexual books. Give us 30 seconds, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com.
Next story I wanted to talk about is about Andrew Womack. I want to reintroduce you to who he is. So let's take a look at this clip. I've covered this before. It's about mildew. If you've been watching me for a while, you'll probably remember it. Check this out. February 2nd, 2021. You know, real quickly, we need to take questions, but real quickly, when my wife and I first got married, we were poor and we lived in a house that wasn't insulated. And so we had a gas heater on the inside to keep the place warm, but because there was no insulation, the walls sweat. And in the uh, closets, especially where it was dark. Okay, I I'm a little bit skeptical at the moment that he was ever poor, quote unquote. A lot of people try to play up that angle, like big famous comedians and televangelists and stuff because they feel like it, it gives them the ability to relate to their audience more closely and they can kind of weasel their way into their pockets easier, basically. Uh, but you know what? Let's grant it. Let's grant it. Say he's poor. Keep listening. Closets, especially where it was dark and stuff like this, we just had mildew everywhere. And you know what I did? Instead of taking something and cleaning it off and repainting or something, I took Deuteronomy chapter 28 and read it. Mildew, you are a curse. Then I turned over to Galatians 3.13. I'm redeemed from you. And I spoke to mildew and cursed it. And did you know it went away without me having to clean it and do something? It was a curse. And I rebuked the curse. And I got free from that. This dude is telling us he prayed away mildew. He opened his Bible and prayed to God that mildew would disappear, and he's claiming that it worked. Isn't that interesting? Well, I'll tell you what, that's all it would take to make me a believer. All you have to do is perform a miracle like that right in front of me and give me the opportunity to investigate and verify that that is, in fact, what happened. That's all you got to do. Show me a hard example that's irrefutable. And I'm a believer, man. You just turned, you converted me to Jesus just now. That's what you did. That's all you have to do to convert me. It will take a miracle that you can prove was a result of your prayer to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ irrefutably answered your prayer in a real tangible way that's verifiable. Isn't it interesting that none of these things are ever real and verifiable and in person or on camera? Isn't it interesting how we can never prove direct causation between the two? If Jesus is in your life so much that he's willing to eliminate mildew for you if you pray for it, this should be as simple as calling me on the phone, telling me that you're about to pray for somebody's limb to be regrown or something, and then just watching it happen right in front of you. Should be that simple, right? Why don't they ever do that? If you were unfamiliar with Andrew Womack, let me give you a little bit more background on some of his beliefs. This one was from mid-November 2020, immediately after the election. So Donald Trump had just lost, and it was verified by this point. If you weren't, like, paying attention to the election at the time, I remember what happened. It, it took a while. Like, we didn't know who was going to win for a while. Like, a few days at least, maybe even a week. I don't think Biden declared victory for a while, but eventually it came to the point where Trump simply didn't have the votes necessary to win. That's just what it was. So Biden came out and declared victory eventually. So this is mid-November when this clip came out. This was the point at which we realized that Biden won unequivocally. That's just what it was. But it was kind of before the Republican narrative had been set about election fraud and all that stuff. So listen to what Andrew Womack has to say on the subject of the election right after Biden wins. I heard a leader in the body of Christ say 
that God sovereignly puts in the president. And so if, if Biden winds up being the one, then God is the one who put him in. And man, I just hate that. I disagree with that 1,000%. Is that because you had just heard that Biden won? Is that why? I would be willing to bet that if Trump had won the election, you would be saying that too. And let me just give you one scripture that if you believe the Bible, it disproves that. And that's Hosea chapter 8, verse 4, and it says, And they have set up kings, but not by me. They have made princes, and I knew it not. I mean, right there, the Lord just clearly says that I wasn't a part of you putting this king in. I'm not. Well, that was a narrative. That was part of a story that was being told at that time. That's not describing how the future was going to be. A lot of televangelists like Hank Kuhneman, Johnny Enlow, Kenneth Copeland, and a lot of others believe that God has his hands directly in what is happening in the United States right now in the U.S. government. If you pray for a political leader to win an election, God will make sure that his guy gets in. That's what they believe, and they've said as much. What you just quoted was a cherry-picked verse from a narrative, like from a story that was being told in the Bible, past tense, not present tense or future tense. Sounds like a justification or a post hoc explanation for what happened. Sounds like an explanation for why Biden won when you were hoping and praying that Trump would win. You putting this king in, I'm not the one who put that prince there. God doesn't put people in who are gonna kill and expand the killing of babies by the millions, even babies that have been born alive. He's not the one putting in people that are pushing the LGBTQ uh, agenda and causing social upheaval. He's not the one that's putting in people that are going to socialize everything and radicalize it. That's not God. Do you ever consider the possibility that actually the Democrat presidents or like Biden, for example, aren't doing any of those things? They're not trying to socialize the country. Biden has nothing to do with Roe v. Wade. That is the law of the land right now. And the Supreme Court has the ability to reverse it. But that's not what Biden is doing at this moment. I honestly have no idea where this dude's head is at that he would come at this situation from that perspective. I mean, this is pure propaganda from beginning to end. He, he can't believe what he's saying, can he? Honestly, like, do you think that he really believes what he's saying right now? Or does he realize that he's full of it? I mean, it's an age-old question. Is the televangelist a scam artist? Or do they believe their own lies? It's hard to know. I think people that practice faith healing, like Kenneth Copeland, for example, they know. They know they're lying. They know they're full of it. I don't think every televangelist is like that, though. I don't think that they all are. I'm not as cynical about all of them like that. Like, this guy is definitely a televangelist, and he's pretty high up there. But I'm not sure how cynical I am about him yet. Let's watch the next clip and see if my cynicism goes up for this. The next one came out mid-January 2022. Reasonably new. I tell you, partnership in the gospel is the greatest thing you can do. When we get to heaven, I can guarantee you there's not a single one of you that's going to be saying, I wish you hadn't have encouraged me to give so much and that I'd have got my fifth flat screen TV and that I would have had more jewels and fancier clothes and a nicer car. All that stuff will be gone. It's only what you invest in the kingdom that is going to benefit you for eternity. 
you're going to come up to me and hug my neck and kiss me and say, thank you, thank you, thank you for getting that money out of my pocket. Wow. Um, okay. Uh, I think my cynicism is starting to go up for this guy. I can't believe that even came out of his mouth. I truly don't know how he still has an audience to listen to him in the first place. But people believe this guy. They buy it. They eat this up. They agree with him. You know what this reminds me of, actually? Uh, do you guys remember forever ago, Kenneth Copeland was having a conversation with a guy named Jesse Duplantis. Let me find that conversation. Hang on. Shoot, I'm trying to find the clip. Let me just search Kenneth Copeland in my clips here. You know what I'll do? Let's just kind of go through my Copeland clips real fast. To those critics that say that a preacher should not be living a life of luxury, what is your response to that? Okay, let me just skim through them really quickly, one after the other, and see if they're, it's one of these. You said that you don't like to... Win! When you were on your bus... And the Lord told... So this is a word for... For those that might have the idea. Oh, God, this is where he gives this creepy smile. Oh, my God. That's what I remember about this clip. This is him apologizing for being a creeper. And at the very end, this happens. Amen. Yeah, so that 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 didn't really help his case. The media said what? There are so even the I the time and the years and years and years ago. Wait, 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 wait. This may be it. No, no, that's not it. Hang on. All you have to do, Jeremy, to get it to incur a lot more persecution is buy two airplanes. <laughs> yeah, <okay. laughs> oh, brother. And if, if you want some nasty so Wow man, I don't have the clip. That's so weird. Well, I'll insert it later. The mess that the airlines are in today, I would have to stop. I'm being very conservative. At least seventy-five to eighty, more like ninety percent of what we're doing, because you can't get there and from here. It's impossible. Right. The, this dope-filled world. Right. And get in an air. Get in a long tube with a bunch of demons. Right. That's exactly. The and it's it's deadly. And and it works on your heart. It really does. He had this conversation with Jesse Duplantis. That's who the other guy was. Right. This reminds me, what Andrew Womack said here, this reminds me of a line that Jesse Duplantis said recently. So Duplantis is holding this fundraiser with Kenneth Copeland uh, mid-September 2021. They're trying to raise money for God, quote-unquote, you know, for more private jets, basically. And Jesse Duplantis says this on the fundraiser. I honestly believe this that the reason why Jesus hadn't come is because people are not giving the way God told them to give. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Wow. I mean, when you- oh, Look, there's Kenneth Copeland right there on the right. And Lance Walnaw. I didn't realize that they were close. If people would call this number <clears throat> and put this victory all over the world on every available voice, every available outlet, God, the Father, he would say, Jesus, go get him. Yeah. Because you see, he wants to see us as much as we want to see him. You see what I'm saying? And so what has hindered all these things is, right. uh, 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 is because people are not doing in the financial realm, because we live in an economic world, what God's called them to do. So donate harder if you want Jesus to come back. Jesus won't come back until you send me your money. That's what Andrew Womack just reminded me of. That line right there. That is one of the most underhanded, dirty things that you can do to your audience, in my opinion. Take advantage, fleece them like that. 
and convince them that their eternal souls will be safe if they send you money. That is evil, dude. That's evil. And look at all these pastors up here with Jesse Duplantis at this fundraiser. Anthony Marillo on the right here, I think. I've covered him a couple times. Hank Kuneman, Lance Walna, Kenneth Copeland. I think this guy is one of Kenneth Copeland's hype men and, and also son-in-law married to his daughter. I'm not, a, that could be incorrect, so don't take my word for that. And then Jesse Duplantis on the left. All of these people, to some degree, have practiced faith healing and, you know, all of the traditional scams that televangelists practice. It's absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. So anyway, back to Andrew Womack. Uh, in my opinion, he's cut from the same cloth. He said the same things that they've been saying for years. Send me more money if you want Jesus to come back sooner. You'll thank me for pulling that money out of your pocket one day. This one is from mid-March 2022. Check this clip out. I believe climate control is nothing but a ruse of the devil. Mm -hmm. You know, climate fluctuates. No, what he's thinking is weather. He's, it sounds like he's confusing weather and climate. Weather fluctuates. Climate is like the overall picture that we have of the weather patterns that we find on planet Earth. I'm no climate scientist, so take what I say with a grain of salt. All I know is what the experts have told me. I always defer to experts when talking about these issues. But this guy has some interesting ideas on climate. We haven't even gotten there yet. Keep listening. And I've seen right. graphs on this thing, and they are attributing this to man-made climate change, and they're using this as, I mean, I believe... Wow, dude man-made climate change. I thought the Republican Party gave up on that narrative. It started out, climate change isn't real in the first place, with people throwing snowballs around in the Senate chambers to prove that climate change isn't real. You guys remember that? In case we have forgotten, because we keep hearing that 2014 has been the warmest year on record, I asked the chair, you know what this is? It's a snowball. And that's just from outside here. So it's very, very cold out, very unseasonal. So here, Mr. President, catch this. Mm -hmm. um, and then it switched to, okay, sure, it's happening, but there's nothing we can do about it. It's not man-made. And I thought that it switched to just climate change is evil and we're not going to talk about it anymore. But it seems to me that he's leaning on the it's not man-made bit, or there's nothing that we can do about it bit. Does this audience even require logic? I'm starting to think they don't. I'm starting to wonder if they just listen to what he says and they believe it without even processing this critically. Let's take a look at this next clip. Now that we've established how he feels about all of the stupid culture war issues, climate change, and uh, what, what else was it? Uh, the election and all of the other little culture war things, taking money from gullible suckers, that kind of thing. Now that we know where he stands on all that stuff, let's give this a listen and see where he stands on this next culture war issue. LGBT rights. Late May 2021. Check it out. Homosexuals have like uh, three times as much suicide as heterosexuals, and then you go into transgender and it just continues to go up. It's mm. a very destructive lifestyle. Yeah. They have a shorter life expectancy. They have 20 years less that the homosexual lives than a uh, heterosexual and you know uh, cigarettes take an average of seven years off of a person's life so wow. homosexuality is three times worse than smoking we ought to put a, a 
label across their forehead. This could be hazardous <laughs> to your health. You know, evil man, absolutely evil. This guy thought that joke was absolutely hilarious. Look at this grin on his face. Is that true? No, no, it's not true. This is something that I heard, I think last week I talked about a similar argument from somebody named Rick Scarborough, calls himself a Christocrat. He said something really similar about the you know tobacco industry and LGBT lifestyle, blah, blah, blah. So I, I went ahead and researched this heavily. I spent some time looking into it to see if this actually is true or not. And as a matter of fact, it's not true. He's completely warping the information around to make it into something that it's not. I found a couple of pretty reputable news sources on this subject and a scientific study to talk about this. It does homosexual activity shorten life. And the bottom line here is no. When you correct for deaths in areas where anti-LGBT sentiment is high, when you correct for bullying and, you know, suicides and all of the other things, the gap virtually closes. And when you account for HIV and recognize the fact that it, it has done untold damage to an innocent community of people, there is no gap. Pretty much the bottom line here is Republicans used HIV as a culture war issue to hurt people. They refused to fund research to curing it for years, decades even. And they encouraged its spread among the gay community. They celebrated it. They threw parties and they made a big deal wearing masks anytime they were around a member of the LGBT community because they didn't want to catch it from them. Mistreated them terribly, bullied them, uh, the whole nine yards. And what do you think that does to somebody's psyche when they're in that type of situation? It destroys them emotionally. Is being LGBT more dangerous than being straight? Yeah, I guess you could say it is. Because of you. Because of what you have done to the community. Because what you've done to the people. Because of the bullying and the hatred and the refusal to fund research to save people's lives. Yeah, it is more dangerous because of you. That's the bottom line. That's why it happened. So thank you, Andrew Womack, for making everyone's lives more miserable. So that brings us to our next clip. This one came out early April 2022. He was talking to his audience and he had something weird to say. So check this out. We decided that we were going to take Colorado back. Colorado is a very liberal place. And so We've got a thing in place, and uh, during the last election cycle, we started with the school boards, and we singled out five districts in Colorado, and we put out 417,000 voter guides. The GOP got in cent status because we asked, how do you feel about uh, men competing in women's sports? You know, what he's talking about right now is getting people out there to either vote or run for office. If you guys don't run for office or you guys don't get out there and vote, he'll be voting whether you're out there doing it or not. He will put people on the campaign trail to run for office whether you're doing that or not. If you are capable of it, you need to get out there and run for office and vote. Vote like your life depends on it because there are absolutely some people out there whose lives do depend on you getting out there and voting. Seriously. 
Just keep listening. The GOP got incensed at us because we asked, how do you feel about uh, men competing in women's sports? What do you think about critical race theory? And they did not want those things to be public. Maybe because it's obviously biased culture war BS. We asked all of the candidates, Democrat and Republic, and we put out these voter guides. And out of 178 people that we were supporting, we got, I think it, I, I may get this wrong, but it was somewhere around 78 or 80 of them elected. So according to Andrew Womack, he got 178 people to run for office and 70 or 80 of them won their elections. I, you know, these are his figures. I don't know if that's accurate or not. But even if he got one of them elected, that is one Andrew Womack follower in a, an elected position now. One guy is too many for somebody who holds beliefs like this. One too many. I sent a spy into our public school system. A spy, you say? Go on. To check out what the books are. And I got a list of, I think it was 54 books in the Woodland Park school system. And this is a small place, 7,000 people in the community. And there's 54 homosexual books that we know of. And I got a list of that. And I've got people that are on my staff that go to every school board meeting. And as soon as we get them looked at so that we can defend what we're saying, we're going to stand up in the school board. Dude is literally trying to get books taken out of schools. How does he defend this? I thought this was the freedom of speech crowd. What happened to that? What happened to freedom of speech and freedom of expression? Only when it's convenient for them and no other time. We also ran and we now have a number of our Karis graduates that are on school board and we've got Christians in places and praise God, we're seeing things change. So incredibly heartbreaking that we have people like this putting people into office. This guy has some weird, deep-seated problem with the LGBT community, and I genuinely do not get it. I really don't. He's from an older generation. This is long before anybody could even imagine gay people getting married. Like, people from this generation didn't even see that one coming because it was so completely outside the Overton window when they were younger. And then it just kind of snuck up on them in their eyes. They feel like it just snuck up on them all of a sudden around 2015, gay marriage is legal, boom, just like that. And it just eats them up inside. I just do not get it. I don't get it. And now they're putting everything they have, every spare penny, every spare moment of their lives is going into regressing, going backwards, reversing progress in the US. Now, they probably aren't going to be able to reverse progress on gay marriage, I seriously doubt they're going to erase that. But out of spite, they will do everything they can to reverse progress everywhere else. We gotta fight this stuff, man. We gotta fight this stuff. We gotta get out there and vote. We gotta get out there and campaign for people. If we aren't running ourselves, phone bank for some official in your area, some candidate. You gotta do it, because if you don't, this guy will be out there doing it in your place. Next, we're going to talk about Mike Lindell having trouble avoiding process servers when somebody new sues him. Give us 30 seconds and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com.
I talked about Mike Lindell last week, but as it turns out, there are some updates to this story and it gets wild. So let's take another look at Mike Lindell. If you're unfamiliar, I'm going to give you a little bit of a refresher. He's one of Trump's biggest and deepest supporters. He has been spreading conspiracies since day one for Donald Trump. Honestly, Trump should love the guy like a brother for what he's done for him at this point. But he seemingly is like ducking Mike Lindell. They don't seem to interact like almost ever anymore. It's just really weird. Anyway, I digress. Let's take a look at this clip from mid-September 2021 where Mike Lindell went on Jim Baker's program to talk about some of his election conspiracies, some of the ideas that should have put him in Donald Trump's good graces. Check this out. Now remember, the biggest thing is every state, every single state, was this was a cyber, a cyber attack of historical proportion. He's talking about the election. Um, no, it was not a cyber attack of historical proportions. Donald Trump won 80 million to around 68 million, okay? But here's the four miracles that I see. The night of the election, the algorithms that were set with the mm -hmm. 2010 census is what they used. We had these big machines that you feed the ballots in and it count like it, it's like the Scantron sheets kind of, you know, when you take state testing and they feed the state test into the machine and it reads the answer sheet and it gives you a final grade on it. That's basically what we used in some counties and some states, kind of like this ballot Scantron type of thing. Well, Mike Lindell is claiming that those Scantron machines that are just designed to like read what's written down on the ballot, and then feed it through. He's claiming that those machines contained the 2010 census database on the machines. No, they didn't. That's simply incorrect. Not only does he claim that, but he also claims this is a cyber attack. He claims these machines were connected to the internet and were hacked. Uh, no, they weren't. They weren't even connected to the internet. There was no Ethernet port plugged into them. It's simply untrue. But it didn't stop him from continuing on to make these claims over and over and over again. This clip came out mid-September 2021. The dude kept going. He kept going. He made so many claims about the election that he actually got himself in some real deep legal hot water. He made claims that were demonstrably false and could get him sued for defamation and honestly should get him sued for defamation. Well, guess what? He did. As a matter of fact, he got sued for defamation by a whole bunch of different companies. Um, Dominion was one of them that sued him for defamation. I think that's an ongoing lawsuit. Well, anyway, those claims went nowhere, obviously, because they were false. They were nonsense. So he goes on, this was mid-September 2021. The next one I have here is mid-January 2022. He's still going on about this, still. He comes out on stage and he says this. I'm on an incline like this, why? Because it's so amazing, all the things that we have. We already have all the pieces of the puzzle. And you talk about evidence, we had enough evidence to put everybody in prison for life, 300 and some million people. Uh, I'm sorry? 300-something million people? You mean the entire population of the United States? I'm sorry, man. This is just disconnected from reality. There's no other way to describe what's going on right now. Are you trying to tell me, like, every single human being in the U.S. cheated in the 2020 election? There aren't even that many voters in the U.S. There weren't even that many 
ballots cast in the U.S. 300-something million people. What are you even talking about, man? Absolutely bizarre. Okay, it gets weirder. This one is early April 2022 when this came out. He was on TV talking to some reporters, and they say to him, what do you think about running as Donald Trump's vice president? I think, I think, that, I think you better ask the other guy. <laughs> I think if it's up to him, all right, all right, you guys. I would say that's a yes from Mike Lindell. Honestly, Mike Lindell should be Donald Trump's best friend, seriously. Like, after everything the guy has done for Trump, after the legal hot water he's put himself in for Donald Trump, how is he not Trump's best friend at this point? Really? I don't know this for a fact. Maybe they are close friends, but I get the impression that Trump is just ducking the guy, and it's so sad. He's, like, obsessed with Trump. It's like Trump is part of his theology. Like, he views him as a new messiah. No joke. I don't think that the contingent of the U.S. that views Donald Trump as their new messiah is particularly big. I think there are some really big names in it, like Shane Vaughn, Johnny Enlow, maybe even Mike Lindell, a lot of people. I mean, a lot of really big, famous people, but not a lot of people proportionally. I don't think it's very big. I don't think it's very mainstream compared to like the rest of the United States, but it's growing. I believe that it's currently growing. This this subset of the U.S. population that that genuinely really, truly does view Donald Trump as the new messiah. I think it's growing in the U.S. right now. So Mike Lindell lands himself in all kinds of legal hot water leading up to this point, right? This is, the, I mean, this clip came out uh, early April 2022, and you would think that Mike Lindell would kind of find the guardrails where it, it's okay to say certain things, but if you say other things and you're going to get sued for it, you would think that he would have found those guardrails or those barriers eventually, right? I guess he didn't, because guess what happened? Early April 2022, Mike Lindell gets served with a lawsuit. Watch this. We got it on camera. See, this guy in the orange and the gray, if you're watching this on YouTube or something, then you can see what I'm talking about. If not, for the audio audience, I'll describe it. Dude's standing in front of the cameras, wearing orange and gray. He's wearing a hat, a veteran hat. It looks like an American veteran hat or something, and he's got an orange envelope in his hand, okay? Watch what happens next. Mike Lindell's walking out of the venue or wherever he was. This guy hands Mike Lindell this orange envelope. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for everything. What is this? Mike Lindell turns around and says, what is this, sir? What is this? It's for you. It's not for me. It's for you. It's a legal court document, I think he said. Dude, process servers are like sneaky sometimes. Like they, they, this guy is wearing all the garb that you would expect to see at a Trump rally or at like a Mike Lindell event or something. He's wearing an Iraq veteran hat and just everything that he's wearing right now looks like he's a Trump supporter. And he just turned out to be a process server, like get, handing lawsuit paperwork to Mike Lindell in person. Absolutely fascinating. I can't believe that we caught this on camera. So who's suing Mike Lindell? That's the real question, right? 
He goes on Lindell TV, the Lindell Report, to tell the story early April 2022. This is right after he got served. Listen to this clip of him describing what happened. Well, there was a guy there that gave me an envelope, and it's about this thick, and I said, what's this? And he was kind of sheepish. He says, don't open that here. Well, you might have seen it in the news today. It's a lawsuit, another lawsuit. They, they, um, Eric Coomer, the president of uh, Dominion, don't know if he still is, but he sued myself, he sued my pillow, and he sued frankspeech.com. Interesting. So the president of Dominion, I guess, or ex-president or something like that, or the vice president, whatever, sued Mike Lindell, my pillow, and Frank Speech TV for defamation, presumably, right? So he sued Frank Speech and my pillow, um, thousands of employees. It's just one more thing they just pile on, Brandon. Hey, brother, if you don't like that, then stop saying things that make you a target for being sued. There are rules in society. It, you are free to say whatever you want. Absolutely. Anything you want, you're free to say it. But I'm free to sue you for every penny you own if you lie about me. That's how this works, man. That's how this works. If you don't want to be sued for every penny that you own, then don't say untrue things about people or organizations to a gigantic audience that will destroy their reputation. Every bit of this is your fault, Mike. I'm sorry, man. I mean, this guy is, uh, uh, he's very, he's, a, he's an evil man. Um, that's all. Eric Coomer is an evil man. <laughs> God. Um, that's all there is to it. Um, uh, absolutely unhinged stuff, dude. Look, Mike, if you don't want to be sued for doing this stuff, then stay within the confines of the law and you won't be sued. How how does this guy, like, how has he not learned this already? It blows my mind. It gets even deeper than that, though. It gets even deeper than that. Mike Lindell is in even worse shape than just a new lawsuit. Let me introduce you to Tina Peters. I believe she's from Mesa County, Colorado. She's a Mesa County clerk. Tina Peters is the name. She was indicted on felony charges in Colorado. And the Colorado Republican Party calls for her to exit the Secretary of State's race. Guess what she didn't do? She decided to try to win the Secretary of State's race anyway. Check this article out. This is on coloradosun.com. Embattled Mesa County Clerk Tina Peters has been indicted by a grand jury on a mix of felony and misdemeanor charges, including allegations of attempting to influence a public servant and criminal impersonation. The Republican was indicted on 10 counts stemming from her actions around an election system software update conducted in May, according to prosecutors. If convicted, she could be sentenced to prison. The indictment was returned Thursday evening. Peters turned herself in on Wednesday afternoon at Mesa County Jail. Her bond is set at $500,000. This was March 9th, 2022. That's when this article was written. This is written by Jesse Paul also, by the by. Figured I'd put that on record. Okay, so that's who Tina Peters is. She was indicted on a bunch of felony charges for tampering with election equipment, trying to influence a public servant, criminal impersonation, so on and so forth. She went on Steve Bannon's show mid-March 2022. This is after she posted bail, basically, and got out of jail. Oh, for the record, before we watch it, I just want to say if she actually did commit these crimes, which it looks like she did, she should be in jail. 
absolutely should. You can't have elected officials running around breaking the law and not facing consequences for it. All right, let's listen. What were the thoughts in your mind that night when you went to bed? Well, unfortunately, I didn't go to bed. Um, they keep the lights on 24-7. They have it, you sleep on a, a one-inch uh, plastic mattress with no pillow, no sheet, uh, just barely covering up with, with a, a blanket. That's jail, baby. You don't like it? Don't break the law. Isn't that what Republicans are always saying? You don't like going to jail? Don't break the law. If you don't want to do the time, then don't do the crime. And uh, with, in my case, uh, there were five other women in this particular room that I was in. Sounds like she was in a holding cell, actually. I've never been to jail, but nearly everybody in Kylie's family has been to jail. And, you know, I've been around them for years and years. So I'll try to explain for people who don't know or who aren't familiar. When you go to jail, usually until you're fully booked into the jail... They will put you in a holding cell temporarily, 24 to 48 hours, I think, maybe. And it's just a, a big cell that holds a bunch of people, five, ten people. It depends on the size of the jail and the size of the cell and stuff and what's going on. Anyway, so you have a holding cell, and then they process you through. They do your paperwork. They took your picture and all that other stuff, and then they assign you to a cell. And usually... A cell is shared with another person. Typically, it's a total of six cells, depending on the jail, depending on all this other stuff. It all depends. I'm just describing what I know. So you have like six cells together, and that makes up a pod. And then you exit the pod, and you can enter into different pods in different areas. The jail will sometimes open the cell doors for like four hours, eight hours a day. It depends on how strict the jail is or if it's a prison or whatever. Sometimes they'll let you out into the yard, so you'll all go to a communal area where you can hang out outside and work out or whatever. And then at night, they'll close the cell doors again, they'll lock the pod, and you all sit in there and you share your cell with one other person, basically. That's how it works. So it sounds to me like she was in a holding cell uh, currently at this moment. And for the record, she's right now she's complaining about how miserable it is. Yeah, I've been saying that for a long time. I've been talking about how absolutely miserable jail is for people. I've been all for prison reform the whole time. Where were you, Tina? When I was calling for prison reform, where were you when I was pointing out that we still have slavery in the United States in the form of prisoners? Where were you when I was pointing all this stuff out? You were trying to get Democrats sent to jail. You were trying to overturn an election. That's where you were. So I, spare me the crocodile tears about how hard you had it in a holding cell for a few hours. The room that I was in, uh, I can't even call it a room, it, it was, well, it was a jail cell with a toilet. Uh, and my chief deputy was in a little bit larger room with nine other women in her cell. 
Uh, they did not, they, it was a no contact. They did not allow us to communicate, contact, be together. I'm assuming what she's talking about is her deputy. They didn't let the deputy and her be together or communicate. But you're in a holding cell with like nine other women. So yeah, you can communicate with those women. You're perfectly free to. But guess what happens when you get to jail? They take away your dignity. You have to use the bathroom in front of nine other people in the holding cell at least one other person when you're in your permanent cell in the jail. I really do not like how jail is set up. I do not like it at all. We desperately need jail reform. The, the people that were in there were just hopeless. It was so sad. The food in there, I would have eaten my dog's vomit rather than eat that food. It was awful what they're serving to these people. Yeah, I don't know if it was like a for-profit prison or what, but she's right. Uh, we need prison reform desperately. But guess what? She isn't trying to fight for prison reform now. Now that she's had that experience, she's not fighting for prison reform. She's using it as a point of persecution. She's talking about how persecuted she was for having to go to jail for committing felonies. That's what she's doing right now. That's Tina Peters. I'm going somewhere with this. This next clip is a little bit of a bombshell. I think this was released by NBC. Listen to this. This came out April 6th, I believe. April 6th, 2022. It's a pretty big revelation. For Republican Mesa County Clerk Tina Peters, she faces felony charges accused of tampering with her county's election equipment. She also has to answer to an ethics complaint, accusing her of accepting more money in gifts for her legal defense than an elected leader is allowed by the state constitution. Support for Peters comes in the form of the pillow guy. Mr. Lendell, how much have you raised for Tina Peters' legal defense fund? I, I, I just put all the money in myself. How much so, is that? I don't I just put all the money in myself. That's what he just said. How much is that? I don't know. I probably put in three, four, five, maybe 800000 of my own money. Unless you're a close friend or family member of an elected leader, you're limited in how much you can gift. Uh-oh. Oh, my God. Did he just create a situation for himself? Let's keep listening. It gets real. It gets even worse for Lindell from here. Trust me, it gets worse for him. You can only give someone a gift of $65 per calendar year. Jane Feldman was once executive director of the Independent Ethics Commission. Now she's part of the legal team in the ethics complaint against Peters. And if Peters receives more than she's allowed, she could be fined twice the amount. So if Lindell really gave her $800,000 to pay for her legal defense, the fine could be expensive. Oh my God, dude. She could be charged up to $1.6 million because Lindell funded her entire campaign. And, and these figures are from Lindell himself. This isn't like, uh, you know, a forensic accountant got in and kind of combed through all of her stuff and trying to figure out exactly how much it is. And this is a conservative estimate and blah, blah, blah. No, Lindell just came out and said, yeah, I gave her $800,000. But there is wiggle room if Lindell is a close friend. Except listen to how he answered a question about flying Peters around on his personal plane last year. Okay, so if, if he says, I'm friends with Tina Peters, I've been friends with her for years, and, you know, I'm just giving her this gift as a friend, and that's it. He's off the hook, baby. He's got nothing to worry about, right? So let's listen to how he reacts to these reporters asking him if he knew her before. He is hanging himself right now and he doesn't even know it. I give rides from people all over the country. I had never met Tina Peters. That's what the plane ride you're talking about. She came to the cyber support with the group from Colorado. I picked people up. I invited all 50 states, all 50 states were represented. 
There's your answer. Another stupid question by a stupid journalist. What an idiot. Oh, my God. You hear him? What an idiot journalist. Oh, my God. I'm eating this up right now. I love it. This guy is hanging himself, and he doesn't even realize he's calling this journalist an idiot right now. I love this shit. For real. I'm trying not to swear. This is just so funny. I love this. All right. Look, keep listening. But here's why it's not a stupid question. If you had just met her, you weren't a close friend of hers. I just met her that day. Another dumb question. If what an idiot oh my god this is so funny i eat this up man for real i'm just laughing so hard right god it's killing me this, this poor guy I, you gotta feel bad for this guy he's so dumb sometimes i try not to insult people but man is this funny this is really funny so anyway lindell has dug himself a hole from which he could never emerge, pretty much. At this point, he has really screwed himself, especially with those last questions. If you had just met her, you weren't a close friend of hers. I just met her that day. Another dumb question. I will never not laugh at that clip. That is so funny. So anyways, yeah, Lindell has a rough road ahead probably, and Tina Peters probably does too. She's most likely in bad shape. Most likely she'll have to pay $1.6 million in fines. So that's what it seems like right now. I'm just eating this up, man. I love it to death. This is the kind of thing I like to see right here. Thank you guys for coming and giving this a listen, and I will talk to you next week. If you like what I do and you want to make sure I can continue to do it, you can support me in a few ways. First, you can support me on Patreon. That's probably the best way. But if you want to get something back for your support, you can check out my Teespring. I sell all kinds of shirts and stickers and stuff on there. Second, you can support me by checking out my Etsy store. I sell 3D printed stands for every system from the original Nintendo to the Xbox One. And finally, if you want to support me in other ways, you can check me out on my other channels. I have the podcast channel, which is where I talk about whatever's on my mind. Politics, social issues, Issues, whatever. You can also find it everywhere podcasts can be found. Or you can check out the videos on my main channel where I focus on destructive cults. As it is with most channels these days, I rely on the support of viewers like you to keep my channel alive, so sharing my work is extremely helpful. Anyways, check me out in all those places if you haven't already. Thanks for listening, guys.